Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Last week I started a two-part series that I'm going to conclude today, and it was titled Staying Sexually Pure in a Sensual Society. And we talked about five stages of David and Bathsheba and their adultery. Okay, so we identified five things you don't want to do. And the first one was you don't want to be vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Okay, we talked about David was vulnerable. Um, The second stage was uh, David took the bait. Okay, Satan dangled a carrot in front of him and Satan went, um, David went for it and he took the bait. Okay, so that was the second stage. He lusted in his heart. And of course, once it starts in your heart, then it leads to a physical practice, which was the third stage, was overt sin. Okay? Um, once you begin to sin and sin and sin, you naturally want to cover it up. So we talked about David's great cover-up, um, even to the extent of murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Okay? If you continue in your sin, and you continue in your sin, we discussed that the wages of sin is even for men of God and women of God? Isn't that something? How was it, it sin and destruction for David? He lost his son by Bathsheba. And also, uh, his concubines were ravished in the sight of all Israel. Remember when Absalom basically affected a coup against his own father? I mean, all that was a part of it. And then David lost his own son, Absalom. So David grieved uh, just a lot of grief that came because of his sin. So we identify those five stages. Um, we don't want to go there. So today I told you I was going to give you some practical ways from the Scripture to avoid falling into these traps. So this is, this is the good news. Um, the first thing that I'd like to talk to you about is Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord. Okay, So the first way we're going to avoid these traps and pitfalls is to fear God. Let's take a look. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, all my life, I've, all my Christian life, I've always wondered, what is the fear of the Lord? I mean, and people say it's this holy reverential awe of God, right? And it is. I mean, God's awesome. But I needed something a little more down to earth just personally for me. So this scripture really helps helps me. The fear of the Lord is to hate sin. I mean, can can you grasp that? Because if you hate sin, you are reverencing and acknowledging God to be awesome and holy. Okay, so the question is, did David fear God? And the answer is, yes and no. The totality of David's life, he was a man after God's own heart. He feared God. But David got in a lapse with Bathsheba. There was a season of David's life where he didn't fear God. Now, let's take a look and see what the Scripture says about that. Uh, 2 Samuel Uh, 12.9. You remember God raised up Nathan to confront David. And God is now speaking through Nathan to David. Listen to what God says. 
God says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Is what God said to David. Did David despise his sin? No. David despised God's word. Okay, so David had a lapse in his life where he didn't fear God. Because if he had feared God, he would have hated his sin and he would have gotten into that mess in the first place. So I want to submit to you, I'm going to give you a couple spiritual type of principles first, then we'll get into some practical things on what can we do from falling into these temptations. But you've got to catch this fear of God thing. Okay, this is, this is really critical. Um, <clears throat> if we look to see who we are, let's, let's just branch off here for a second. Um, who are we as believers? Okay, I'm going to lead this in, into the fear of God. I want to I try to help us fear God. So the question is, how should we do that? We know we're supposed to do that. We know we're supposed to hate sin. But how do you actually develop a hatred for sin? Okay. Um, one, one way is how do you develop a liking for ice cream? You eat it, you eat it, you eat it, you eat it more and more and more, and it's yummy, and you keep eating it, right? Well, how do you develop a hatred for sin? Well, you practice staying away from sin, or you could practice being with God and loving God, right? So let's take a look at some scriptures. Ephesians 5:25 through 27. I want us to take a look. This is motivational to me. If you know these scriptures and you confess them and you believe them and you pray them over yourself and over your family and you literally are washing yourself with the water of these scriptures, you're going to have a much better chance of fearing God. Okay, Ephesians 5.25. Paul is talking here about marriage and Christ in the church. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Okay, so there's a church, right? We're part of the church if you're born again. And what's the church look like? Well, the church is glorious. Look at verse 27. So we are to be glorious. We're called by God to be a glorious church. That's pretty cool. Having no spot or wrinkle. In other words, spot or wrinkles, those are the sin things that we embrace that defile who we are as the beautiful bride of Christ. We talked a little bit about that last week. Okay, and what is God doing to us? He's washing us, right? You get dirty, you come in, you take a shower, you wash yourself, and you're clean. Well, we are being washed by God, by the water of the Word, the Word. So how do you fear God? You need to know the Word, right? You need to confess and believe and speak what the Bible actually says about who you are, who we are. And so you say, wow, you know what? I'm part of the church. 
I mean, Jesus gave his life for the church. Jesus was holy. He's, he's wants us to be holy. He's, he's cleansing us. He doesn't want us to be defiled. We're going to live with him for all of eternity. In fact, we're actually joined to him right now. So if that's the way Jesus is, and that's who we are, that's what I want to be. I wouldn't dare do anything to defile who I am, the church, this spiritual bride that God is preparing for himself. Do you see? Does that make sense? You know, you know who you are, and you see what God is preparing and doing, and you're like, wow, that's, that's the way I want to be, without spot, without wrinkle, just bringing honor and glory to God. So if we realize that, that helps us fear God, doesn't it? Who are we? That's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I was thinking, um, I went to Penn State, went to the football games, of course, and uh, you know how they have the mascots on the field? Well, Penn State's mascot was a, a Nittany Lion, so the mascot gets on the field, and they get the crowd of, what, hundred and some thousand people fired up. You know, he, he points his fist at one side of the stadium. You know, we are. You know, the whole crowd just shakes the place. And then he points his fist to the other side of the stadium. Penn State, we are. Penn State. I mean, the whole place is shaking. It's like, wow, this is pretty intense. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud to be Penn State right now. Uh, you feel like you're in this stereo thing going on here. But, you know, we are the church. Okay, if, if I can get that excited about a football game and shake the ground that we're sitting on and walking on, certainly the body of Christ can be pretty excited about who we are as the church. We are the church of the living God. That's awesome. We are the church. We are members of Christ. Thank you, Virgil. Thank you, Virgil. I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> Who else are we? We are members of Christ's body. Okay? Again, I'm giving, I'm giving us scriptures, and these scriptures, if we can plant them deep in our heart, they're going to help us fear God. All right, let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6.15. Uh, the church of Corinth was a very... It was a very sensual society that they were living in. So uh, Paul was writing a few things. Um, and there was some sexual immorality in the church at Corinth. So Paul had to share a few things uh, to give them some instruction and correction. Uh, but here's the truth that he gives them. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Okay, stop. What did he say? We are members of Christ's body. I mean, that, that should stun us. Okay, so, so we have Jesus. He's in heaven, right? He also lives in our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're joined to Him. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ, right? So we're, we're united to Christ. But somehow, and I don't understand it, it's a mystery, somehow this group of people and all the other all the other saints all over the world right now that are listening and praising and singing, that group of people are joined, you could say mystically or mysteriously, to Christ. We're literally the body of Jesus 
Christ somehow. We're the body of Christ. We're his members, okay? And I don't, I don't fully understand how to explain it. All I know is that if we're his members, I mean, can you picture Jesus sinning? Wouldn't that be like the ultimate blasphemy? In fact, uh, that's exactly what he was accused of. Um, a drunkard hanging out with uh, sinners and tax collectors. They accused him of sin. I mean, doesn't that sound terrible to think of Jesus as a sinner? I mean, it's, it's, mine can't almost conceive it. Well, we're joined. We're his members of his body. So we're joined to this holy Jesus. And, and it's so, so wonderful and it's so pure that Paul goes on to say in 15, Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Shall I then take the members of Christ so they have premarital sex? Shall I then take the members of Christ and have them lust in a movie theater? Shall I then take the members of Christ and have them commit adultery? What's Paul's answer? Are you kidding me? May it never be. Why? Because we're joined to a holy God. We're members of this holy God, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So who are we? We are the church. We are members of Christ's body. Third thing, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's keep looking in uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's take a look here. Um, 19 through 20. Paul says this, See, he's talking about they were, they were engaged in sexual sin with their bodies. So Paul's kind of giving them a little lesson on their bodies. What's so big about their bodies? Okay, well, here's what's so big about your, your physical body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? A temple. Of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own, for you've been bought with a price, Therefore, glorify God in your body. Okay, I've, I've shared this before uh, from the pulpit. I'm going to just keep sharing it until we, we catch a real good revelation of it. When you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, we're not happy. Okay, we have this bad hair morning. Uh, we see the wrinkles. Uh, your eyes. Do you ever notice how your eyes are a little crooked? They really are. I'm serious. And your ears, like one of my ears is actually lower than the other. Don't say that to me. I might not be able to handle it. But <laughs> You know, when you look at the mirror in the morning, you should see something else. You should see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? I mean, is that, is that not what it says? If we're a temple, this, this physical body is a house for the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? So, I mean, I used to witness to people. They thought, I, I mean, I was crazy when I was witnessing people. I would be so intense. I was, I was a little overbearing. Um, but, I mean, it was, God was so real in my life. I, I would say to people, man, do you understand that Jesus right now lives in me and he's more real in me right now than me talking to you? Do you understand that? They're like, who is this nutcase? I am. I'm a nutcase. God lives in this body with crooked eyes and crooked ears. Isn't that something? So who are we? We are the glorious church. 
We're members of Christ's body, and we're actually a temple of the living God. So if you take that to heart, you'll fear God, right? Because you're not, you won't dare defile this temple, would you? And then would you dare to defile another temple of God? I remember I was single, and I was on the phone years ago, and I was, I was talking to a woman that I knew, and just talking with her. And uh, as I hung up the phone, the thought came to me, don't dare defile the temple of God. I'm like, what? That thought just popped into my head. And I'm like, God's like, I'm, I live in her. Make sure you don't defile her. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, flirting defiles the temple. Looking at them the wrong way defiles the temple. Touching them the wrong way defiles... You don't do that. She's my temple. You don't mess with me in my temple. You remember the burning bush, right? This thing's on fire. Moses is there. God's in the bush. So Moses is standing there. Oh, I think I'll check out the bush. God's like, Moses, um, take off your sandals. I'm holy. Do you, I mean, <laughs> this is serious stuff here. You're not holy. You're not clean. I'm holy. You're in my presence. You need to do something. That burning bush is inside that woman on the other end of the phone. Because you don't mess with the burning bush inside the woman. Remember when Solomon dedicated the temple? He sacrificed tens of thousands of all these animals to God. And then he has this prayer and he, he invites, invites God to come down. And, and what does God do, man? God comes down. God shows up. It says the Shekinah glory came, filled the temple. The priest couldn't go into the place because it was so heavy, so weighty, so awesome, so glorious. That God that filled the temple is in that man, that woman, that person, you don't mess with them. God lives in them. You catching that? I mean, isn't that enough to make you fear God? Okay, you got, if you fear God, you're not going to take the bait from Satan. No way in the world. So to conclude the uh, fear God section, you know, we can ask ourselves the question, do we fear God? Meaning, do we hate our sin? And say, well, what do you mean, do I hate my sin? Of course I hate my sin. Do you? I mean, when I, let's just say I overeat, or I have too many sweets, which I do occasionally. Um, let's just call it gluttony, right? Do I hate that sin? No. I like it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly. So I have to go to God and say, God, forgive me. I don't hate my sin. I like it. You say, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like a Christian. It's not like a Christian. That's why we need to have a change of heart. So when we look at, when we're in the movies and we're kind of enjoying these racy scenes, you say, well, I'm not enjoying it. I mean, it just came on. I just happened to sit there. No, you're there and you're watching it. That means you like it. Because if you didn't like it, you would get up and you would leave. And you would say, God, forgive me for being there. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, so do we hate our sin? That's the question. If we don't, you know, we confess it. God, help me, right? God, help me hate my sin. God, help me. I, I, I want to be that pure vessel, the church, united to Christ as, his, his, as a, a member of His body. So that should be encouraging to us. We can pray and God will help us to fear Him. Okay, second thing is to guard your heart. All right, so number one, if you fear God, 
You're not going, you're not going anywhere near where Satan's tempting you. Second one, you guard your heart. Everyone knows the scripture. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for out of it flows the wellspring of life or some translations say the issues of life, right? Okay, so we have a heart. It's not talking about our physical organ going... Okay, our heart is, is really who we are as a person, right? Our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, our desires. Okay, so what it's saying to me is this. I have eyes and... Information can enter my eyes, right? I have ears. Information comes in my ears. But also I have a... And I'm I'm still not completely regenerated like God has intended for me to be. That's the process of sanctification. So actually I can sin from within too, right? But I want to keep temptations and evil and defiling things. I don't want them to come in my eyes. I don't want them to come in my ears. Does that make sense? Okay, so guard your heart. How can I shut those things off? How can I keep them away from me? I already dealt with the fear of the Lord. Okay, let's take a look at guarding your heart. You guys know Job, right? Job made a covenant with his eyes. Did you ever hear that? So what is that? Look in uh, Job 31.1. Remember Job... You know, Job suffers horrifically um, at Satan's hands. Basically, God allows it. And then Job's friends come and try to comfort him. They did a good job because they didn't say anything for the first seven days. That was good. They didn't open their mouths. As soon as they opened their mouths, though, they began to accuse him of being a sin. Hey, Job, the reason you're suffering is because you sin, buddy. Nice friends, right? So Job says this. Job is defending his integrity. 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Job's saying, hey guys, look, I'm married. I don't do that stuff. I fear God. I don't look at virgin. I don't look at women in the wrong way. I, I stay far away from women. I don't do that. I made a covenant with my eyes. Now what does he mean he made a covenant with his eyes? What does that mean for us? I think it means that he purposed in his heart that he would not look the wrong way on women. Okay? Does that make sense? So, men are particularly susceptible to the whole visual thing. Right, ladies? You've, you've always heard that men are visual. Well, we are. Very visual. Okay? It's true. And women, you know, women have some visual going on too. So, I think it's for everybody. But I need to purpose before I go to work before I go to school to teach, before I go shopping, I need a purpose in my heart that my eyes are not going to look the wrong way at women. And uh, men, if you've been around long enough, you may have heard different methods that men use. I mean, I heard one teaching that, well, you know, if you see an attractive woman, um, just bounce right off. Your eyes bounce right off. And it's true. I mean, it's kind of like... I mean, that's, that's what you have to do. You, you can't keep looking. When David walked down on the roof and he saw Bathsheba, right? His eyes didn't bounce off of Bathsheba. He kept looking at her. And then he went in and said, hey, <laughs> who is that? So he, he began to now lust and sin in his heart. Once you keep looking, you sin. But guys, if, and, and ladies possibly, we need to bounce our eyes onto something else, somebody else. 
Or you may, you need to develop your own system. It might be, um, okay, eyes up. I'm just going to look at people in their eyes. I mean, you literally say, God, I'm going to walk with my head up. And I'm, I'm looking at people, and I'm just going to look in their eyes. And if there's a difficult situation, my eyes, I'm history. I'll turn around if I have to. But my eyes are not going there. My eyes are not going to stay there because I'm a holy vessel. And I don't defile, I don't defile people. Okay, so trying to give you practical tips here. Um, movie theaters are a big example. I say this to my shame. Uh, there's been some movies where I was caught off guard and pictures came up on the screen that I wasn't prepared for. I usually now I, I'm pretty diligent to research movies. But I remember the times, a couple times it happened. Um, you know, what do you do with your eyes when that happens? That's no big deal. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not real. Yeah, it is real. <laughs> Better believe it's real. Those, those are actually real people on a real set, and they're really doing that. And, you know, their clothing is really not what it should be right now. Okay, that's real. So what I had to do, um, one time I just, I just closed my eyes and lowered my head, you know, because I, I make, make a covenant with my eyes. I'm not, I'm not going there. So I've, I've had to do that a couple times to my shame because I didn't research. Another time I just had to get up and leave. It was too much. I said, no, I've got to go. I mean, there's sometimes you've got to get up and just get out of there. Right? Because why? I'm a holy vessel. I can't, I don't want to be defiled by that kind of stuff. And that brings us to the next point. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Paul's continuing here. I, I kind of skipped this verse as I read read verse 15 and 19 earlier. Paul says to the Corinthians, hey guys, um, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Paul said to Timothy, flee youthful lusts. What's the word flee mean? Get out of town. Get out of there. I mean, you've got to get out of there, right? You're in the movie theater, and, and you know the movie's going to go like that the rest of the... I mean, you kind of know... I mean, get out of there. I say, well, my friends will be embarrassed. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I mean, you're going to sit there and be defiled so your friends don't take offense? Well, I mean, you know, you have to think about things like this, right? I believe a friend of mine, uh, <laughs> he was radical, man. <clears throat> I'll share a couple stories about him today. But one, he was telling me um, he was with a woman. Uh, he had messed up. He was alone with her. Uh, in her place, so that was the first no-no. They were by themselves, but uh, she was like Joseph's wife. I'm so, I'm sorry, Potiphar's wife. Remember, uh, Joseph was seduced by Potiphar's wife. They were alone in the house one day. Okay, not good. So what did Joseph do? I mean, this this woman's literally day after day after day she's seducing Joseph, and finally she lunges and grabs him. And he slips out of his cloak and flees, man. He takes off. And then she decides, she's embarrassed. She's, then she decides, well, I'll get him. Uh, hey, the Hebrew slave you brought in here, he tried to make sport of me. So Potiphar sends him to prison. It was the same with my friend. Um, he's in the house, and uh, things were, weren't going very well. Um, as far, I mean, there was temptation there in the house with him. He said, he said, he said, John, I just realized I made a mistake. And he just had to leave. He said, hey, 
I, I got to go. I'll talk to you later. See ya. I mean, that was his goodbye. He just, he just took off because he realized the mistake he had made. Sometimes you just have to take off, right? <clears throat> yeah, we don't want to fall there. Flee, man. Get out of town. Get out of town. Another principle, I love this principle. Um, it's from the Song of Songs. And the principle is uh, to not awaken love before it's time. And take a look. Um, if you're looking at your Bible, there's several translations depending on which Bible you use. I purposely picked this translation, okay? So if you're not looking at this translation, then humor me. All right, but in the ISV it says, Swear to me, young women of Jerusalem, that you won't awaken or arouse love before its proper time. Okay, so I'm not going to really talk about how it applies to the Song of Songs, honestly, because I don't know. But what I want to do is pull that principle out for us. Okay, I want to pull it out as a principle. What does it mean to not awaken love until its proper time? Okay, well, everyone understands, like, I'm, I'm planting grass seed now, and I'm so happy when the little green shoots come out of the ground, and I'm so discouraged when they don't. Because <laughs> I mean, it's like, this is supposed to work, right? You water it. Don't you just put the seed on the ground and water it? I mean, isn't it supposed to just happen? Well, usually it does, but it needs sun, and it needs water, okay? And it needs some good soil. So the sun and the water on the seed make it grow and bloom. Okay, that is like, here's the analogy, that is like a man who pursues a woman. All right? So um, just trust me on this. If you don't believe it, read the Scriptures. But to me, the Scriptures show that the man is to be the initiator in relationships. Woman, you're to, you're to be the responder. Okay? And I, I believe that's how God designed us as a general principle. So when men give attention to women, they're designed to bud and bloom inside, emotionally and even physically. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so if you are married Marlene from last week, remember married Marlene? She's married. She's Christian. Her marriage is stale and flat. She's in the workplace, an exciting, dynamic group of people. And then Sly was there, right? Sly starts talking to her. Well, when Sly starts talking to her on a personal level, she starts to feel good inside. It's like she's getting the attention she's not getting at home with her husband, right? So she, she starts to feel good because she's really hurting. So Sly's talking with her, and he's just, I mean, he's saying nice things to her. And Remember, he invites her out to lunch in the workplace, and they go out as a group. I mean, she's laughing for the first time in a long time. She's doing things that she hasn't done in a while. And this guy is waking up within her this emotional attraction to Sly. Okay, and then when they go over to her, his apartment, because he forgot to bring some papers to work, and uh, they hold hands for the first time, I mean, she really blooms inside. And the next thing you know, adultery has been committed. Do you see how that works? Okay, so what we have to realize is, first of all, married couples... You have no business being awakened by any other man or woman. And so you need to avoid that situation completely. You know, my wife, you know, the spouses need to be kindling love throughout the marriage, right? 
kindling, stoking that fire, stoking that flame. That's why people go to marriage seminars, um, you know, to get to get some encouragement in that area. Uh, so, what could married Marlene do at work? I mean, she's she's got to work with men, right? Um, well, I thought a couple things. One, if she just sticks to business, like when. You, I mean, professionally, we've all worked with members of the opposite sex. Pretty much most of us have. You just have to do that. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. If you keep it, quote, professional, what, is profession, what do I mean by professional? Well, if she has to spend time with him, maybe they're, maybe they're on a project together. Well, they can hang out together at work. Okay, but when she's hanging out with him, it just needs to be on a business level. They need to be discussing business. They, she needs to keep away personal conversation. She doesn't need to be sharing about her marriage with this guy, Sly, at work when they're supposed to be talking about a business project. Does that make sense? I mean, she's sitting there, and all of a sudden she's, oh, it's so hard. Man, maybe my husband this and my husband that. And Sly's like, oh, yeah, I understand, you know. Um, and here he's comforting her at work. No. So one principle would be when you're in the workplace, keep the personal stuff out of it. I don't mean you can't talk about, you know, what did you do on Saturday? You know, we went, we went uh, fishing. And, um, but if you are going to talk about personal stuff at work, uh, men and women, you need to say how wonderful your wife is, what a great time you had with your wife. Man, I had this awesome day with my wife. My kids are wonderful. We went here. I mean, I mean my family's awesome. You hear what I'm saying? Because Sly, has, Sly can't get in there. You're not giving him any room, man. No wiggle room. You're just, you're just doing this. This is what you look like right here. I'll talk to you. I'll work with you. But you don't, you don't come closer than, than my hand right here. Um, singles. This scripture is probably more for singles. Don't awaken love in, until it's proper time. Well, how do you do I mean, what does that mean? Well, you know, sometimes we're not ready for marriage. If you're 15, 16, are you ready for marriage? I mean, are you mature enough? You... <laughs> Amen from the 40-year-old. <laughs> okay, so... Sorry, 45, but... Uh... <clears throat> I, th- I, think, I think pretty much every, every, all the parents in here, um, you guys are raising your kids, uh, you don't date it you know, 15 years old, and you're not ready. Because when, when, when your little girl dates now, and that guy gives her the attention and holds her hand, what's going on in her body? This beautiful blooming process is coming out. Your little 15-year-old girl is starting to bloom and blossom. And what she thinks is love is probably not love, right? Okay, so what happens in the end of winter, right? You get a week of 80-degree weather. Has that ever happened here in Lynchburg? Yeah, and you're like, what is going on here? Well, all the blooms on the plants and trees start to come out, right? And you're like, wow, man, spring, and it's February. And then what happens? It goes down to 22. And what happens to all those little buds and blooms that came out? They die. I didn't know that was funny, but <laughs> um, but they do, don't they? And so, <clears throat> I mean, that's you don't want teens, 
15-year-old, 16-year-old guy and girl. You, you don't want to be all awakened, you know, getting ready for a marriage relationship. You're not ready for a marriage relationship. You didn't even finish school yet. I mean, you still don't even make your bed. You still throw your socks on the floor. <laughs> I mean, and you're going to get married? You have no job? Um, so, parents, we have to help our teens guard their hearts from being wakened prematurely. I don't know what the age your, your son or daughter should get married. That's, that's between you, God, and, and godly counsel in the church, right? You're, hopefully you're praying for your children. You know, Lord, bring the right person at the right time. Okay, so do not awaken love before it's time. What happens when you date five or six people? Do you think the temptation is there to fall sexually? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay, so uh, I was, for some reason I just like that principle. Um, last one. So we have fear God, right? We have guard your heart. <laughs> guard your heart. And we have set a high bar, a high standard. You know, you know how the scripture says, when you read John, he said, I have no greater joy than when my, when my, to see my children walk in according to the truth. I, I mean, I am so blessed when some young adult, some college student just comes to me and, and they tell me, just how high of a bar they've set and how they're guarding their heart and, and every, all the things they've set in place so they can stay pure for their wedding. I mean, there's nothing greater than I love that. So I, I want to give you a vision for that, okay? I want to give you a vision. Um, <clears throat> let me give you the vision first. I was at a wedding of a friend's house in Virginia Beach, and they were both virgins. He was in his 30s. She was probably in her 30s also. It's a long time to be going and be a virgin in this society, isn't it? All right, so I'm at this wedding, and it's got these, you know, these pew-type things, and, um, you know, I'm, I was in his wedding, so I was, I was standing up in the, uh, with the other um, groomsmen, I guess, and I, I, I had this thought, a critical thought came into my mind. I said, man, you know, here I am, it's just this religious affair, and, you know, it's just a church wedding, and I started to have this critical thought, and thank God for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came and said, um, no. Uh, actually, I'm incredibly pleased with this couple. They have honored me. They are pure. They haven't defiled each other. And, and I'm going to come. And I'm going to show up. And I'm going to testify to this group of people how awesome this couple is. Because they've kept themselves pure before me. And I just said, God, forgive me. I mean, don't you want that, girls? To walk down the aisle? You haven't been defiled. Now, if you have been and you confess it, you're forgiven, you're clean before God, okay? So if, if, if there's already been some in your past, that's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. Do you understand that? When Christ forgives you, it's as far as the east is from the west. So far has He removed our transgressions from us. Okay, so I'm not... I'm not trying to drudge anything up. I'm just saying, um, man, what a blessing to stand before God and to stand before men and say, I didn't touch her. I didn't defile her, God, by your grace. Be honored. Be glorified. Man, what a way to go into your marriage. What a way.
we need to keep some high standards. How can we do that on a practical level? One is uh, this other friend, same friend. He would go on business trips. He was kind of my mentor when I was younger. And he would say, you know, John, I'd, I'd go into a hotel. And uh, just to protect myself, what I would do is I would remove the cable box or the cable for the TV. And I'd take it and give it to the front desk people and say, here, take this. I don't need it. I mean, that's radical. Why? Because he's guarding his heart. Why? He had made a covenant with his eyes. Why? He feared God. Why? He knew who he was. He was a part of a holy bride. There's no way he's going into a hotel room. See, he knew his weakness too. So he was going to remove his weakness so Satan couldn't come and dangle something in front of his face. And that's what he did. That was his practice. He'd remove the cable box and take it right down to the, the lobby. Here it is. And what a testimony to those people. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, I don't need this. You know. I mean, you, you got to, sometimes we just have to do things, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that keeping a high standard? The, here's, here's the thought. It's not, what can I get away with? I can do everything but have sex. Wrong. Okay. If you have that attitude, you don't fear God. But if you fear God, your attitude is, you know, how far can I get away from things that would trip me up? That's what we want. How far can I get away? That's, that's keeping a high standard. That's, that's setting the bar really high. And I love it, man. I love it when women have the bar set so high, it just blows the guy's mind because his bar isn't set that high. And it's a gentle rebuke to him. I love that. I love that. Um, boundaries there's a you know when you date when you, once, once you feel like it's time and, and you're dating right nothing wrong with dating that's a good thing um, you want to premeditate some things you now the scripture says make no provision for the flesh in other words don't plan on sinning plan on righteousness so you get out your little calendar, you Google whatever it is, and your Blackberry and your iPhone, and you're actually going to plan now on your iPhone righteousness. How are you going to do that? Well, before you go on the date, you're going to have a discussion with Joe Boyfriend, and he's going to have a discussion with you on, you know, what are the limits here? What are we, you know, how's this thing going to work? Say, hey, um, you know, we, we've got to honor God. I, you know, God is holy. Um, and I'm not going to do one single thing to dishonor you. And, and because of that, let's, you know, let's make some rules. Uh, we're not going to be in the same house together alone. I'm, I'm not saying you can't go up to their house, knock on the door, walk in for a minute. Uh, he gets his stuff or she gets her purse, and then you walk out. I'm, not talk, I'm talking about you're sitting in your house, you're on, the, you're on the couch, you're just having a good old time, right, for hours and hours and hours. We're not going to do that. We're going to go out to eat. We're going to hang out with friends. Oh, we can go to a movie together. That's no problem. It's an appropriate movie, right? I mean, do you, do you see some boundaries before you go out? Here, David was surprised. He walks out on his roof. He was caught by surprise. If you don't have any boundaries before you date, you're going to be caught by surprise, and you'll probably, you'll probably fall, honestly. So... We need to premeditate this. You need to plan on your phone. What are you going to do? You need to have a talk with whoever you're going to date. Say, hey, hey, what, 
Let's, let's, make, let's not do the intimacy thing until we're engaged. And when I define intimacy right now, what I'm saying is, you know, hold hands, put my arm around you, good night kiss, but we're not going to sit on a couch and go at it for a half an hour. Okay, when we get married, we can do that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying? But if you don't say that, you're going to be caught by surprise. You, you're not going to have, you have to get, you have to plan righteousness. If you don't plan righteousness, you could be overtaken by immorality. I mean, make no provision for the flesh means plan righteousness. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Debbie and I, we did that. Um, I did a lot of things. I didn't want to defile her. And um, I counseled with Pastor. And he, uh, <clears throat> he helped me, uh, just asking me questions. What kind of boundaries are you going to set? You're an example. Um, you, know, you need to be, make sure things are pure. And, and I, I really appreciated that. Um, and that's what we did. And we talked about it. We're not going to be together alone. And we, we didn't have any uh, lustful intimacy before we got married. We waited until our wedding night. We waited until we stood together so that the power of the Holy Spirit could set a seal of approval on what we were doing and what we had done. And we could honor Him and glorify Him. That's what we want. That's what you want for your marriage. You guys, it's like eating cotton candy versus steak. I mean, it's just nasty versus wholesome food. You know, it's, you don't want to go the wrong way with this thing. <clears throat> Another thing that you can do to, to keep a high standard, men and women, is dress. The Scriptures tell us to dress modestly. Uh, we know that. The question, of course, is what is modestly? Um, at Heritage High School, where I taught, uh, the secular school where I taught, they had a dress code. Uh, all teachers had a three by five index card. Okay. Now, if a teacher suspected a girl was not in dress code, he had to—I <laughs> mean, it's kind of awkward, right? <laughs> you know, give the girl the card and say, "Hey, um, from from her neck to the top of her top." had to be the three-inch, not the five-inch, the three-inch. And if she's out of dress code, she gets sent to the principal. This is secular high school. They had enough sense to have a dress code. I thought, that's pretty cool. I can, I can handle that. So um, I'm not going to tell you guys how to dress. Um, I, just some guidelines, common sense guidelines, would be uh, you know, if clothes are just painted onto your body type of a thing, I mean, doesn't that tell you that's probably maybe for comfort's sake, but because now, now my eyes have to be practicing bouncing. You know, I can't even be in the same room. And you say, well, what about the guys? Don't they have problems? Yeah, guys have problems too. They wear tight clothes. Guys wear their pants down to here, sagging. It's like, man, pull up your pants. Yeah, don't walk it. Pull up your pants. Man, when I'm at school, I see these guys. It's like, pull up your pants. I mean, we're not like that, are we? We don't, we don't need to go there. But see, the problem is if you dress like that, guys and girls, you're, you're, you're sending a signal. Even if you're doing it in ignorance and you don't, you don't necessarily want to send that signal, you are. 
Because men are so visual. You say, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be looking like that at us anyway. Um, It's the guy's problem. You're right. We're not supposed to be looking like that. And it is our problem. And so that's why we're doing a message on it today so we can get help. However, comma, space, (laughs) the Apostle Paul dealt with a similar situation. You remember they were eating meat offered to idols and some Christians... Hey, I, you know, idol's just a chunk of wood. I mean, this is meat, man. Bring it on. Hey, I love lamb chops. Other guy's like, no, man. They offered this thing in the marketplace to the idols. That's, that's defiled, man. We can't do that. We're Jews. So they have this thing going on. Paul's like, hey, if someone's going to get bent out of shape about offering, eating meat offered to idols, I won't eat meat. Why would he do that? Why would Paul do that? Love. So we're trumped by a higher principle. Love. So ladies, please, for love's sake. (laughs) Okay. Um, I already talked about counsel. Uh, If you are wanting to get married, you really should counsel. You should counsel with godly men, godly women. You should counsel with your church leaders. Because they're with you. They're going to be praying for you. They're going to be blessing you, man. They're going to be with you. And they're going to stand alongside you. And when you get married, and the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon you. And God says to all this, heavenly principalities and powers and demons and defiling spirits, look, pure couple. Did God ever say that to anybody in the Scriptures? Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He doesn't buy into your trash. Isn't that cool? That's what I want for my boys. That's what you want for your children, isn't it? Yeah. So three things today. Do we fear God? You fear God if you're like, God help me. Please, Lord, don't let me go there. God, I can't go there. Lord, give me something. Lord, I need to meditate. You fear God, right? You're humble. Man, take heed lest you fall, right? You think, you, you think you're not going to sin. That's pride. And pride comes before dis- destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't go there. I need help with this thing. God help me. Get prayer. Get counsel. Um, pray. Uh, we also talked about guarding your heart, right? Keep these things out of your eyes. Keep these things out of your ears. And we talked about let's, let's keep a high standard. Let's see how far we can get away from sin, not how much we can get away with. Okay. I guarantee you do these things, man, look out. Look out. I mean, the kingdom of God will forcefully advance for the families that do these things because you will be a shining light and people will see it because God will make sure that people see you. You'll say, hey, have you considered my pure servants? Look what they do. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.